Let's read a passage from Genesis and a passage from Romans as we continue looking at our statements of faith here at Springhouse. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then in Romans. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many father i thank you for your word i thank you for the power of your word i thank you for the presence of your spirit and i pray that you would anoint each person here so that we might find life in what you want to say to us today in jesus name amen you may be seated our third of the seven statements of faith that we have here at springhouse reads this way we believe that mankind is a fallen race born into iniquity and that all evil in the world is the result of mankind's rebellion against God. The only means of reconciliation with God is through believing in Jesus Christ's death on the cross as the blood sacrifice for our sins. Now we're doing this, uh, this series because, like I said, I've discovered that a lot of Christians don't really understand the, the most basic fundamentals of their faith and what it is that they believe. This is one of the things that there's a lot of confusion about in the world. But first of all, let me make a couple of preliminary statements. And the first one is God doesn't make mistakes. How many of you know God doesn't make any mistakes? None whatsoever. Doesn't make mistakes, doesn't make junk. And the scripture says that uh, Genesis 1:31, that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It was very good. Uh, he, he, didn't, he, didn't find, he didn't find any fault in it. In the beginning, everything on earth was perfect. Now, that's one of the things that you can draw from the fact that God doesn't make mistakes. Another thing you can draw from the fact that God doesn't make mistakes is that you can't possibly be a mistake because God made you. And some people tend to feel like maybe, maybe they are. And not only that, you, you can't be junk because God didn't make junk. And sometimes people feel like they are. But the other thing is that the earth was perfect and there was really only one thing that could mess it up in all of creation. And it wasn't dogs. Cats. Yeah, I'm being nice. I didn't, I didn't draw any conclusions. I just wave my head and let people draw their own conclusions. <coughs> Mankind. Mankind was the only thing that, that could mess it up. The only thing that had the potential to mess it up because we were created in his image and the more potential there is for good, the more potential there is for evil. You know, a cow 
Sorry, Rodney. Can't be particularly good or bad either one. It's just a cow. <laughs> you know, a, a, a dog, okay. A dog, a dog can be a good dog, can be a bad dog. You've heard that. Bad dog, right? Good dog. Okay. A person has the potential for a lot of good and a lot of evil. And a person with tremendous gifts and endowments, person with a lot of talent, person with a lot of intelligence, person with a lot of, of wealth that perhaps has come their way, has the potential to do a lot of good and a potential to do a lot of evil. An archangel has the potential to be the devil himself. Get right down to it. So the only thing that could really mess this up was mankind. Now before we get into spoiler alerts about whether or not mankind did mess things up, let me say one other thing. There are mysteries here. There are mysteries. When we look back at, at, at this part of of history there are mysteries that are beyond our understanding i mean and as well they should be because they're spiritual things we're only beginning to understand some of the mysteries uh, physically about our you know the human genome is just now being unlocked and we're and we can see that now something that you can't see like a spiritual genetic makeup uh, there are mysteries they're just things the only way that that they can be revealed is they have to be revealed and accepted through faith. The only way we can understand our spiritual genetic makeup is by revelation. There's a reason why you can ask questions that you can't answer. And the reason is because you, you were created to belong to one world, but you find yourself in a different one. And you, can, you got questions. You got, you got things about this, but you're not in the place to know to know, to figure out all of that stuff yet. There, we were created with eternity in our hearts, as we talked about a few weeks ago. So, let's start with Adam and Eve. Are Adam and Eve real people? And the reason why I address this is because uh, a lot of people in our culture, as soon as you begin to talk about Adam and Eve, you know, maybe even in church, although probably this crowd's pretty safe, but as soon as you begin to talk about Adam and Eve, they go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, and and uh, uh, Jonah and the whale and uh, the fiery furnace. Yeah, we, they, don't, they don't believe any of that stuff. Uh, I believe Adam and Eve are real people, okay? I, I do because the scripture, it tends to indicate they treat them like real people. Paul talks about Adam like he's a real person frequently. Just the passage we read today talks about that. Luke traces Jesus' genealogy back to Adam. Uh, Jude uh, talks about Enoch being the seventh from Adam. So they certainly treat him as a real person. So I would treat him as a real person. But you know what? Even if you're not there yet, that doesn't mean that the story doesn't contain truth. The story contains truth. It, it was designed to reveal mysteries to us as to how things got the way they are. Why, why are things the way they are in the world right now? probably aware God created Adam God created Eve they were placed in the Garden of Eden and there was a bunch of things in the Garden of Eden but there was this there was this there was this tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and uh, the question may come up well why was that thing even there I mean if it wasn't there wouldn't we all be a lot better off 
It just, just hadn't been put there. Well, truth of the matter is, if it hadn't been there, something else would have had to have been there to take its place. Because here's the deal. When God created us, when he created us in his image, and, and those of you who've been here for a while have probably heard me say this before, but maybe you didn't remember it. When he created us in his image, he could put a lot of things into us. He could put reasoning. He could put an intelligence. He could put a, an eternal soul. Uh, he could put the ability to create. He could put those things into There's one thing he could not just put into us. And it was the most important thing that there was about God. And that thing is love. God couldn't just go, poof, now you have love inside of you. Because love requires a choice. You have to be able to make a choice to love. Most of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking, it is, it is not rude, not proud, not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil, rejoices in the truth, always trusts, always protects, always perseveres, always hopes. All of those things, none of them are an emotion. Every single one of them is a choice. You choose to not be rude. You choose to trust. You choose to persevere. You choose to let it go. Not keep a record of wrongs. You, you choose those things. And if you will choose those things, you choose to be kind. If you will choose those things towards somebody, guess what? You love them. And if you don't choose those things towards somebody, if you choose the opposite of those things, it doesn't matter how you feel about them, you don't love them. So, so love, love is a choice. And therefore, God had to give us free will. Jesus says, over in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will do what I command. Now, <coughs> excuse me, let me just say, the same doesn't hold true necessarily be, between humans. I remember talking to a guy a few years ago, and we were talking about, uh, about raising our kids, and, uh, and he was saying, yeah, it was really important for me to, to, to teach my kids what, what love is. And I said, well, great, that, that is important. What, what, did you, what is love? And he said, well, he said, love is when somebody will do anything you want them to do. And I said, oh, I think you just, I think you kind of messed up there. You know, you didn't, I don't think you got that one right. Because we as humans, oftentimes what we want somebody to do, it, we may have the best intentions, but what we want them to do may not be the right thing for them. It may just be the right thing for us, or it may just be what we think is the right thing for us. See, we're fallen creatures. God isn't, though. When God gives a command, it's always, for my good, for my good. Don't you know it's for my good? Good, 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 good. Yeah. I just, I just, well, I was listening. I was listening. Uh, and, it, and it always is. 
And so then the choice becomes, do we obey him? Do we love him enough to trust love always? Do we love him enough to trust what his command is? Therefore, God had to give us free will, and it had to be meaningful. It had to actually count for something. Henry Ford was famous for saying that the public could have any color Model T they wanted as long as it was black. That's not a meaningful choice. You can have any color iPhone you want as long as it's black or white. Now that's pretty meaningful. Okay, y'all aren't with me. I'm just going to hurry along here. There was nothing special about this tree. It's just a tree. There was, no, there was no poison in it. There was no hallucinogenic to, you know, open their eyes or anything like that. It's just a tree. The power came from the command because God's command combined with our choice to obey that command equals love. That's where the power came from. That, that's, that's, what, that, that's the magic, if you want to call it that, that was going on here. We read it earlier. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. First of all, notice that God's word brought a lot more freedom than it did restriction. How many trees were in the garden? 85, 90, a billion a whole bunch of trees were in the garden. And God said, all of them are yours, except one. Except one. Now, if you, uh, <coughs> somebody takes you out to eat, and they say, you can have anything on the menu you want, except that. What is it that you really want on that menu? <laughs> it's that. <laughs> Because that's, that has become kind of hardwired in us. But I don't think it was before the fall, necessarily. You know, it was just there. The, cho the choices, there was a lot of freedom. See, we, we make the mistake of thinking that freedom exists in a vacuum. We think that true freedom is just, I can do anything that I want to do. That's really freedom. No, that, that's, that's an illusion. If everybody is free to commit murder, who's free? Nobody, because freedom doesn't exist in a vacuum. If everybody's free to commit adultery, that means that everybody's free to break their vow and break their word, and you can't trust what anybody has to say. What a world. Which to live. Now, God knows where the limits of freedom are, and his command always, his command always gives much more freedom than it does restriction. And the restrictions that are there are there to guard and guarantee the freedoms. And God's word also pointed the way of life. It still does. God's word says that way's death. This way's life. And it still is. That's still exactly what it says. <laughs> to make a long story short, I will uh, cut the suspense. We failed. We believed the word of the tempter rather than the word of God. The word of God said, you will surely die. The tempter came along and said, you will not surely die. Huh. And we chose. We chose the second one. Of course, we were wrong. 
Because death actually is proof that sin is in the world. That's what that means when it says that even where there was not a command given, people still died because death entered the world when sin entered the world. Did they die? Well, it looks like they kind of kept on living for a while, but let's talk about this and look at it a little bit deeper. You see, death actually is, is separation. That's actually what death is. When we die physically, we're separated from this biological existence. And, and pardon me for saying this if this is fresh in, on, in somebody's life, but physical death isn't really all that big a deal. It just really isn't. It's not a big deal at all to the ones who go to the other side. It's only a big deal for those who are left behind. And you know what? It's only a big deal if somebody's left behind who loves you. There's that love thing again kind of popping up. Pretty important. If, nobody's, if nobody is left behind who loves you, then your death can e only means either, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, or I wonder who'll get his money, or eh. Who cares? You get right down to it. Love's pretty important. But, but physical death, you know, every single one of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step out on a limb here, and I'm going to say every single person in here, your great-great-grandfather is dead. <laughs> How do you feel about that? My great-great-grandfather was Moses Christopher Meek. He, uh... Lived a good long life. He had a bunch of kids. He fought in the War of 1812. I never met him. <laughs> he did have one son who became a preacher. And apparently, uh, according to uh, the records that I have seen, uh, was run off from several churches for causing trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't our line. That was, that was an uncle. That was a great, great uncle something or other there yeah our, our line was the good line <laughs> statistically on average uh, almost two people die every second when you think about it that means that during a typical sermon that I preached close to 5,000 people will die how do you feel about that you know, as long as it's not one of you or somebody that's close to you, we don't feel anything about that at all. Hundreds, thousands of people dying. Physical death isn't really the issue. That's why Jesus said, don't fear the one who can only kill the body. Said, you need to fear the one who can cast the soul into hell. Because you, the Bible calls it the second death. Real death is the second death. It's separation, separation from God. To be separated from the one who knows everything and is everywhere and, and, but doesn't know you and you're not where he is. And not only that, he's the source of all light. The source of all love. The source of all joy. The, the source of all peace. To be separated from that for eternity, that's not terrifying. That's a word we haven't even invented yet. It's beyond terrifying. 
I mean, the Bible would use the word hell, but we've taken that word and messed around with it enough it doesn't really mean anything anymore. But that's what the second death is, separation from God. That's the, that's the biggie. The darkness fell on the day that, they, that mankind fell immediately. They were ashamed to be in God's presence. The one that they had, that they had, had close communion with before, they'd walk with in the cool of the day immediately. Soon as soon as they knew he was coming, they ran and hid because they were ashamed. If you were to uh, go to a strip club, who's the last person you'd want to see walking in? How about your mama? Your wife. Oh boy. Your pastor. Of course, if your pastor came in, that would be because the Holy Spirit had told him. <laughs> to go and speak with you. <laughs> and if it wasn't, you know, if he was already there when you got there, you'd be ashamed for him. You'd, you'd feel that, that shame. And we're just talking about, I mean, mama's nice, and, and your wife, I'm sure, is perfect, but, and I, I know your pastor, and he, uh, but aren't any of them close to God, anywhere, anywhere close to the holiness that he has? And, and on this day that they disobeyed, as soon as they heard him coming, instead of going to him, they ran the other way. The separation began to take place. Creation fell dumb. Romans says that the creation was subjected to frustration on that day, that it's in need of being liberated from its bondage to decay. There wasn't decay before that day. There wasn't any bondage before then. Wow. What? I mean, the world can be a pretty nice place right now, the earth, that is, but to imagine what it was before, before we did this. All evil in the world is the result of mankind's rebellion against God. That's, that's, that's what our statement of faith says. And so when the question is asked, why do bad things happen to good people? The same reason that bad things happen to bad people. The same reason that bad things happen to innocent creatures, the same thing, same reason that bad things happen uh, to, to the earth. We fell. It's a fallen world. We, we have a tendency to try and we, we have a tendency to try and parse this situation out. We have a tendency to look at people when stuff happens to them. And you know, sometimes we feel empathy, but other times we feel like, well, I wonder what they did. There's got to be a sin somewhere there. Got to be a lack of faith somewhere there. Get over it. No. That's, that's not how that's measured at all. In fact, the, the prime example is Jesus Christ himself. What did he do to deserve that? Nothing. But the prophet says that we looked at him and said, we considered him to be smitten by God. 
We considered him to be getting what he deserved. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was punished for our iniquity. The, And when you see somebody suffer, yeah, maybe, maybe they did do something bad. I don't know, but maybe they're suffering for somebody else, and they don't even know it. All we know is that in everything, God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's all that we know for sure. Can't look at somebody and figure out, just make them a better person and that one a worse person. In fact... I've discovered over the years that one of the prime times, one of the easiest times to speak to people about the gospel and about their salvation is at a funeral. And you know what's got to happen to have a funeral? Somebody's got to die. So you never know why this is, why, why this is, is, is coming together. We just know that all of this happened because we fell all the evil in the world is because of our rebellion God did manage to spare Adam and Eve from physical death that day and he did it by means of a blood sacrifice they didn't die physically but the first physical death did take place see they tried to as you know they tried to cover themselves with um, leaves or whatever uh, natural fibers and uh, you know, God came down and said, that, that's not going to work because, you see, all you're, all you're doing is covering your skin, and that's not, that's not the problem. And two very important principles were established that day. One of them is without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Hey, you know, you guys did this. Something's got to die. Somebody's got to die. And it's only two of you, so we're going we're gonna to get a substitute for right now. But the shedding of blood is absolutely essential. And I, as I was looking for illustrations to put up here, and I was looking at blood sacrifice, animal sacrifice, uh, let me just tell you, <coughs> I almost put it up anyway, but if I had put it up, I would have, I, would I have, boy, would I have heard about it this way. I'd have gotten the emails and I would have gotten the, you know, kind of going, I can't believe you put that. It was so gross. That is so disgusting. Yes, it's supposed to be gross. It's supposed to be disgusting because that's, that's what sin does. That's what it does. This was where Cain went off track. Because he decided, we're going to sacrifice, but we don't need to shed blood to do this. God went, uh, yeah, you do. And the second great principle was the fact that we can't do this for ourselves. God has to cover us. God has to be the one to say, hey, look, let, let me. Let me take care of this. Let me be the one to fix this. Because you can't fix it. You absolutely can't. And so sin... And death entered into our spiritual DNA to be passed down by Adam's race. You can't see it. It's invisible. You can see its effects. But by faith, by revelation, we understand that mankind is a fallen race and we're born into iniquity. Romans 5, 12. 
We, uh, we read it earlier. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Psalm 51.5, David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's not good news. But the message of the gospel is the, the magnificent solution. You see, we are not lost. We're not sinners because of what we do. We are lost. We are sinners because of what we are. What we do is a result of what we are. Does that make sense? You know, we have, we have a tendency to think that it's, uh, that it's all about what we do. Well, what we do is just a symptom. What we are is where, is where the real problem is. Therefore, changing what we do, while that's good, it's not the solution to our problem. You know, if you've got a, a viral infection, you can take all the antibiotics in the world and it's not going to touch that viral infection. If, you, if you've got a flat tire on your car, you can change the strings on your guitar and you will still have a flat tire on your car <laughs> because you haven't addressed the problem. You haven't addressed what the real issue is. And we have a tendency to think in this culture in particular that you know, as long as you just do the best you can, live a good life, then that's, that's all you can do. That's, that's what God requires. Hey, look, I'm not knocking that. But do the best you can. Live a good life. But it's going to take a blood sacrifice. And only God can do it. Only God can cover it. There's no amount of good that we can do to fix this thing. We fell because of unbelief in God's word. We didn't necessarily fall because we didn't fall because we ate of the tree. We ate of the tree because we didn't believe. We didn't believe that what God said was true. And the gospel, the gospel gives us this wonderful opportunity to reverse what it is that really plagues us. See, Adam had one command, but no faith. Don't eat of that tree, because you'll die. And the gospel presents one command, essentially one command. Have faith in the one who died on the tree. That's the command. Say, so, well, what about, you know, all these other things that we're supposed to do? Everything starts here. Everything starts here. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He was referring to an incident where the Israelites had rebelled uh, against God because of unbelief. Hello. And poisonous snakes were sent among them and began to bite them, and they began to die by the thousands. And Moses cried out to God, and God said, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole and lift it up and everybody who looks at it will be healed. That's just ridiculous. How does, what has that got to do? I mean, these people need medicine here. They're being bitten by snakes. They're being bitten by snakes because of unbelief. Here is an opportunity to believe. Here's an opportunity to Reverse what really ails them, and that's what, the, that's what the cross does for us. Jesus said, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. 
And in accepting the message of the gospel, we are literally, spiritually transferred from Adam's line over into the line of Christ. We, are, we, are, we become a, a new creation. We, we read it earlier. For if, by the, if, if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, all things have become new. He's been placed into a, a new family. Kind of like being born again, which is how Jesus said that it had to be what we, what we had to do. <coughs> okay, I need to answer a question here. I need to address a question. Because when you, when you talk about original sin, you talk about being born into sin, this question always comes up and uh, and I think I'd do an injustice if I if I taught about original sin and didn't look at the question do babies go to heaven when they die and if you've ever known anybody who's had an infant who died you've heard that question and the answer that I have for that question is yes. And it's not just because I like little babies. It's not because I think babies are cute. It's not because I think babies, well, they had not done anything to anybody yet. You know. No, I, I, have, I have, I think, some, some biblical reason for that. And stay with me because, you know, the first, the first statement or two here might be kind of like, what? But... Give me a chance to get through the whole thing. See, there are those who've never actually heard the gospel who are going to heaven. I'm thinking Moses will make it. Thinking probably David be there. Ruth, Esther, Samuel. You know, I think some of these people, some of these people who never heard just as I am are going are gonna to be there. I know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there because Jesus said they would be. He said many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me say, I'm not a universalist. I don't believe that everybody's going to go to heaven because the Bible clearly teaches that there are going to be some people who are going to be, go to hell. I mean, that's, that's there in the, in the Word very clearly. So I'm not, I'm not a universalist, but I do believe that the redemptive power of Christ is clearly not just confined to gospel meetings. When I was, uh, when I was a teenager, one of the things that just really rattled my, my cage was the question of, I know that there have been millions, billions probably of people who've lived Born, been born, lived, and died, and never heard the name Jesus Christ, and are they burning in hell right now? <coughs> and I finally came to the place where I understood that they, the answer to Abraham's question when he was debating with God about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The answer to the question is, yes, he will. He will do what is right. Absolutely. And so when it, 
comes to little babies. When an infant is just is taken, just know that God has his reasons and we can trust him. We can trust him. There, there are worse things that can happen to us in this life than to go early. So, why should we share the gospel? Well, let me give you an analogy and see if this works for you. Let's say you had the superpower to put out fires. And let's say that your neighbor or your friend's house was on fire. Can I get somebody for you? Which one do you need? Just, just say the name and we'll, we'll get them. Hey. Yeah, okay. All right, what's your superpower? Put out fires. And your neighbor's house is on fire. Okay? Uh, should you, and, and you're pretty sure it's insured. So they're going to, you know, they're going to rebuild it. The insurance company's going to pay off. Should, should you put the fire out? Well, yes, you should. I, I know I'm, some of you are still ruminating about that. But others of you knew the answer right away. Yes, you should. And there are a couple of reasons why you should. First of all, you're not, you don't know that that insurance premium got paid up, you know. Uh, you don't know if they necessarily even signed up, so you don't necessarily know whose house is insured. But secondly, there's a thing called collateral damage. What about the houses next to it that might be catching on fire? What, there might be somebody in that house that you don't know is there. At the very least, there are going to be a lot of valuables and irreplaceable things about a person's life that is destroyed when the house burns down. So, yeah, you're, you're going to save it. Now, here's, it's, it's the same thing with the message of the gospel. See, we, we in this country, we got to a place where we made it so much about going to heaven or going to hell that that was all it was about. Listen, when I got saved, Jesus Christ changed my life. I became a different person. My life was a mess and getting messier by the day. It was, it was headed nowhere fast. And, and there, were, there was collateral damage all around me. There were people whose lives I was touching and I was not doing them any good whatsoever. And yet when I gave my life to Christ, then, then he began to turn things around and I began to affect the people around me in different ways. And Isaac and Arwen and Valerie now exist because of that. They wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be here if God hadn't touched my life. He picked me up and turned me around and he put my feet on the solid ground. He, he pulled me up out of the miry clay. He put a new song in my mouth. You see, you talk, sometimes we, don't, we, we, we are intimidated about sharing the gospel with people because, you know, if all we've got to say is you don't want to go to hell, do you? They don't believe in hell. So you have no conversation to have with them. But let me tell you what they do believe in. They do believe their life ought to be better than it's going right now. They do believe that things could be better than they are. Their house is on fire. 
That's why we share the gospel. That's, that's why we tell people about Jesus Christ. He came that we might have not only eternal life, but that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Now, right now, starting here, we share the gospel because mankind is a fallen race. And the only means of reconciliation with God it's through believing in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, his blood sacrifice, the redemptive work that he did. God created it. We messed it up. Jesus redeemed it. Would you stand with me? <coughs> uh, would those who are going to uh, pray with, with people come forward here today? And if you're here and... You don't know Christ, or you need to do some business with God. Now, let, let me try and let me just put it that way. Because we get so used to the jargon. We get so used to the, uh, to the words that we kind of become immune to them. But if you need to do business with God and you know who you are, then you need to come forward. This is, this is the time to do it. This is the day to do it. Say, well, if I die, am I going to hell? I don't know if you're going to hell. I just know you're in it now. And it can be better. It can be better. Christ came to redeem you, not just for there, but for here. Now, whatever your need may be, you, you, may, you may be in good standing with God, but you, you got, you're still living in a fallen world. You need a physical touch, a financial touch, emotional, you got relationships that you just need God to intervene for, you need a defender, you need somebody to step up and be your ally, come and pray because God will do these things for you. He cares. If you don't need to come, worship with us while we wait on those who do.
Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world to redeem us from our fallen state to lift us out of the miry clay and put our feet on the solid rock may he do that work in your life may that work of redemption be powerful and may it be at work invisible in you and and may those around you be attracted to him our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 